Welcome back to another edition of the Bow Rush Podcast. You're listening to episode 007. I'm your host, Travis Stowe. With me is my co-host, Scott Nelson. How you doing, Scott? Hey, not bad, bud. How you been? I've been great. Just finally got some deer meat put into the fridge that I switched from mechanical to solid broadheads and mm-hmm. hit the shot, uh, dropped right where she was at, didn't run. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was so far that took the ease of not having any kind of meat for this season away. I'm so stoked to be going for the big bucks now. There you go. Well, I mean, I guess you kind of took our last podcast to heart. Uh, you went and processed, processed your own meat and everything last night, didn't you? Oh, yeah, I did. And, you know, I actually thought it was going to be a lot quicker than I imagined. Uh, I've, I've watched the videos. And, in fact, the guy that we had on our last episode, uh, Terry, he he gave some really good insight. And so I kind of put that to heart. Uh, but boy, I tell you, we didn't have all the equipment that we should have had, and it took some time. But nonetheless, it was fun. I learned a lot. And I know what to do when it comes to the next time around. Um, I was happy. I'm, I'm, and but the good part was, it didn't cost me sixty or seventy dollars to take it to a food processor. I did it on my own. There you go. Well, what do you have planned for? Uh, do you have any hunts that are coming up? Are you going to be out hunting this weekend at all? Oh yeah, I'm going out probably Sunday. Uh, hopefully, maybe a full day. I mean, the the rut's in and some good signs. So we'll see what happens. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm I'm heading down to Coweta County this weekend with uh with a good buddy of mine, Davy Crockett Ferraro. Um, you know, Davy what... Crockett. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know. Even um, the the name just fits, you know. He's he's a great guy. Uh, we're going down to Coweta County. There's a really good piece of property down there that runs along the Chattahoochee. Um, from everything we've seen and, and what we've heard from the area, the the bucks are still they're they're going down those uh, those scrape lines, testing them and checking them out, seeing if there's any hot does. So we have we think we got a real strong chance of, of getting something good on the ground this, ground this weekend hopefully hopefully get it on film and uh we can put it together for you guys well who do we have on for this evening we got a great guest on today um someone that you know i i can't say enough good things about i spent a lot of time in his bow shop when i was out in colorado a film mendoza he owns no limit archery which is right there in in denver um he's also has a lot to do with with train to hunt he he won last year um, he's getting a lot more involved with them on, on the national level now, and he just has a, a ton of knowledge. He's been in the industry for a long time and, and he really gets it. He understands, you know, from beginning to end on, on how to teach them, you know, what they need to know. To, so, you know, we'll talk to a little, a little bit about all of that. We'll talk about train to hunt. We'll talk about his shop, which is a phenomenal shop that's there in Denver and, and a little bit you know, about hunting itself and how to get ready for your hunt. Yeah, even though that people have already started hunting the seasons in, there's still plenty of time to get out there, get in the woods, get out in the field. And some of the things he talks about, I mean, you can take that knowledge and apply it now. And so it's going to be a good conversation. Hey, Phil, how you doing, bud? You all right, man? Yourself? Oh, man, I'm hanging in there. How you been? Uh, going crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Man, well, you know, we appreciate you taking some time out of your day. I know you said you're you've been super super busy, so you know, I just want to kind of talk to you a little bit. A couple couple things for the basis of this is one, obviously, it's trained to hunt. You know, kind of the premise of of it, where it started, it, you know, how you approach it, and kind of what you're doing involved with that. Sure, the- we would go before that more going into like the purpose of fitness of why fitness is such a major importance when it comes to hunting and then kind of fall into the, their background. Yeah, for sure. So, so you, you, uh, I, I guess you want me to start from the, from the beginning then or. Yeah. You know, if you can just uh, talk to us a little bit about, you know, the importances of, of being fit or, or how to be fit and the difference between your normal, you know, hits the gym everyday guy and someone who's actually trained in hunting. And beats body abs, kind of like people that just want to look good, but then you have the people that have the brute force to be able to handle things like spot and stalking, going up steep hills. And there's two, even though you might look physically fit, you might not necessarily have the actual endurance that you should have. Yeah, you know, the I guess the biggest thing is out here hunting in the West, it's, you know, like you said, you, you can have the, the, the beach body the, the abs beach look. <laughs> yeah. You know, you can, you can have the, the nice muscles and everything. And don't get me wrong. Some guys have best of both worlds, but <clears throat> what really matters is is having you know a, a good set of good set of lungs and your legs and your back. It's, it can just handle those 
those inclines and declines and weight on your back, you know, you get you get something down and you're having to pack it out. It's if you're not ready for that, I mean, it, it can be borderline dangerous for some people. And actually, you know, um, some people have gotten hurt real bad just because they <clears throat> they bite off more than they can chew. And so what what I I don't know what at the shop we we've, we've been offering some workouts, you know, and and getting people ready for the for the hunting season to where it's we we take anybody, you know. Um, a, a lady, uh, you know, a guy that's out of shape or, or some people that are very much in shape. And we just, you know, try to get them going, get them moving, get them in some way, shape or form somewhat familiar with a taste of what you're going to see in, in, in the mountains. So you're conditioning them. Exactly. You know, I mean, we're not doing a lot of, uh, bench press. We're not doing a lot of anything like that. We're, we're, we're doing some uh, you know, packs on, weight in the packs, we're doing some running, we're doing some, you know, movements w- with that weight, we're shooting our bows where it's it's very realistic, uh, it's a very realistic approach to preparation for what you're going to see. Uh, and granted, it, as realistic as we can be with, uh, you know, in, inside a pro shop or, or what have you, but at the same time, it's just that much more than what you're going to get when you go to the gym and you jump on an, an elliptical machine for half an hour, you know? I mean that that's great. That's better than nothing, but it's not the same. And 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 I guess going from having mountain fitness to to just overall fitness, yeah, there's some some things that cross over. But it all started, I guess, for me with uh, a couple of years ago. Trained to hunt came to Colorado, and Ken Claremont is 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 trained to hunt. Ken Claremont is is an animal. The guy is a wealth of knowledge, and he wanted to put these events out to where hunters can have something to strive for. So, you know, in addition to getting ready for the mountains in September, October, um, you know, there's something you can do throughout the season, throughout the summer to, to test yourself and measure yourself uh, against other guys that are, or, or girls that are, they're doing the same thing. And he came out a couple of years ago and I've always been a guy that's in pretty decent shape and took care of myself, but he came out and, and put on that first event and it was eye opening because I, I know I can I handle the shooting part of it very well, but when you mix shooting and 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 moving weight with, uh, you know, sandbag in your backpack and running up and down the hills, it's it's a different animal. And now you're timed, and now you're getting your shots on the targets. You know, you're getting points taken or time taken off or added on based on what kind of shot you put on the animal. So his whole structure with with this game that, that we're calling this training to hunt challenges is, is awesome. That, I mean, there's nothing more realistic to getting you prepared to hunt the West or anywhere for that matter. It could be the East. It's just, it's, it's more applicable to what you're going to see in the West. And it just, it, it blew my mind because I've traveled, uh, you know, for five or six years shooting mostly 3d competitions nationally. And, and you see that kind of competition, you get that kind of experience where pressure and, and, uh, you know, you're stepping the line with another guy or, or a, a crowd of people to shoot targets. And, and yeah, there's, there's, there's nerves and there's pressure there, but it's not the same as, you know, you sit there and you elevate your heart rate up to 150 plus and then add all the shooting into the game, you know, and it's it's totally different. So he came in and, and that fitness part of it really opened my eyes and it's like, you know what, I'm getting re- myself ready for hunting, but I'm not doing a good enough job of it. If I'm not mistaken, the didn't it originally originate like the very first one he did came from I think like Bo Cassett the bird he did the Mountain Mile isn't that how it initially no, started or no that was uh, Dixon and Anthony Dixon and so there I'll I'll leave that alone to the extent I'll say I think they were going to work on stuff together oh, okay okay so. I, but there was an event three years ago I think at Bo Cassett mm-hmm. the bird where they did the uh, they did the race on the mountain there right. Yeah. And very very similar, but different to the extent of I've, I've got some some good friends of mine that made the trip to to that event and competed in that. But it was that was a mountain race more than it was a bow hunter fitness event race. You okay. know what I mean, it was it was still awesome. Don't get me wrong. It was it's, it sounded like it was a great time. Well, yeah, I was actually there, and I mean, you had one arrow, and I had multiple shots, and I mean, it uh, I, it seemed no. interesting, but I just thought that that's where it kind of. I thought the essence came from that, and then he he built on and basically made his own 
course, this home tournament that just it became bigger. Without stepping on anybody's toes. Oh, yeah, no worries. <laughs> I, I think it was something that was originally going to go there because the idea of incorporating fitness into shooting, into bow hunted relating uh, scenarios is not anything new. I mean, I, in Colorado here, we've got a, a, an event that's called the CBA Jamboree. It's the Colorado Bow Hunters Association Jamboree. And they do, it's a fun weekend, and they had an endurance event where it was more like running a quarter mile, shooting six targets, and doing it for time. I, I did that since eight or nine years ago, you know. Mm-hmm. And so there's always been, there's nothing that I would say, nobody's reinventing the wheel. It's just, it's been refined, and it's really come to a, a good event you know, um, and, and it's, it's only gotten better from last year to this year. And even I, I did three events this year. I did Colorado, I did the, the Wyoming event, and then the Nationals, which was the third event. Each event took on its own um, identity, if you will. It was awesome. I mean, everybody's there. You're, you're there basically competing against yourself and then seeing where you stack up against everyone else. And because of the different terrain and and uh, the different, you know, different competitors. Everything was was similar, very similar format, but it's just it's hard to explain. And it's one of those deals where you go to a 3D shoot, a national three big big time best shooters in the world in that in that uh, event style of event, and you know you got a little bit of posturing. You got hey, you know everybody's cordial and friendly, but at the end of the day, you're friends until things get really get going. Right, event starts. Yeah, and. And it's it's great because it's it's just that game, and and where you have events where you're moving. I mean, the first event in Colorado, you're moving 200 pounds, and, and there's guys that are 160 pounds, there's guys that are 220 pounds. You're moving 200 pounds almost three quarters of a mile for time. And when you get done, those guys that are competing against you are the first ones there to help you take that weight off your back, you know, and and get you some water. And it's just it's it's an encouraging event because, like I said, we're at the end of the day, this is all to get us better for September or October, or what, you know, whenever you you hit the mountains or whatever type of hunt you do, you know, November for, for whitetail. It's just, it's something that um, you got to experience. And that's where I, I, I got hooked last year. And that's where I went and you know, I was able to do three this year because the people you meet, you know, there, there's some guys that certain events, you know, they're, they're not, they're not ready for it. They're, they weren't prepared for it, I should say. But you know, there's I didn't see a single person quit. You know, and and that's where that kind of event, like the the sandbag carry, the meat pack event that he calls it, is one of the three events. That's enough to break some people mentally if they're not physically ready for it. And it's it's not easy. But you see these people that you know you got you got guys that finish the race and they go back and cheer on their competitor. Hey, you know, come on, we're almost there. Let's finish up. And and that's enough you know, to help bring some of those guys through, just just like your, your hunting buddy in camp or something, you know. So, so you know how it goes. Some Something unfortunate can happen, and it's just, you know, you need you need a good hunting partner to to help you pass those rough spots and move on to the, you know, to the good part. So, yeah. Yeah, what I was going to say is, you know, there are a number of events, you know, throughout the West that are based on the whole element of it's a time trial. Now, what's the difference with that in, in train to hunt? This isn't your normal 3D event. You know, you've got you've got shots where it takes hunting scenarios and it puts them into a 3D format. So, for example, there's some there's some targets where you draw from a kneeling position, you stand up, you move. Uh, there, there might be a tree in the way or something. You move around the tree, and you've got from point A to point B to make a shot. So you're you're moving. You're uh, Again, you're drawing from a kneeling position. There's there's shots where you got to draw and hold for 30 seconds to a minute before you can actually take the shot. If your cams break over a little bit, that's that's a zero. You know, you've got time shots. You've got you, there's a there's a couple of shots where you've got to get an arrow off within five seconds from a rest position. So you've got time to look at a target, 25, 30, 35, whatever the target is. You judge a target, and then he stops, starts to stop, watch go. You got to draw your bow back, acquire the target and make a good shot, the arrow has to be gone within five seconds. Uh, you don't see that in a 3D event. Um, the other thing is like a follow-up shot. So he'll, he'll have you shoot one arrow. As soon as that arrow leaves the bow, the timer starts. You've got to move 8 to 10 yards to a second position, load your second arrow, and get it off within 12 seconds. So, That's awesome. Yeah, there, there are scenarios to where 
it's 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 man, it, it's it's getting you ready for hunting. You know, you you know when you're in hunt camp and you're messing around with the buddies and okay, you know, let's let's do this or let's do that. You know, it's it's very much some of that. Now it's it's taking it to the next level. So in a sense, um, would be like this idea for someone that's wanting to go hunting and do these type of real life hunting, but using this as a, a skill set or a training scenario, because you're basically putting people in a, a variable training situation that pushes their mind as well as their physical ability to do a breaking point to see what they really need to work on for the hunting season. That's basically, I mean, great, you're putting it in, a, in an event so it makes it eager more people, the camaraderie, but the element is to push them to the breaking point and find out what really they need to work on to be more efficient in the field when it comes to the season. Yeah, and, and there's even certain scenarios that half the people probably wouldn't take in a normal hunting situation, but mm-hmm. what better way to practice it than a controlled setting like that, you know? And like you said, yeah, you're you're displaying... Um, you're showing people what their weaknesses potentially are, or you're showing them where they can get better. So it's, um, it's, it's, it, it just takes so much into, uh, into consideration from the preparation standpoint of, yeah, you know, this is, we're scoring you and, 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 you know, we're, this is a, this is a competition, but at the end of the day, did you think that you might come across this kind of scenario? Well, if you didn't, you, somebody else has. So think about it, you know, and, and now practice for it because it could come up. Well, you know, one of the events that I heard a lot of people talk about um, at, I think it was the one in Colorado, um, mm-hmm. was the meat pack event. You know, talk a little bit about the format of that specific event and kind of what you went through, you know, starting it from start to finish and how you accomplished the time that you did. So, I had some struggles in, in Colorado. I, I practiced working out with, uh, so I guess let me back up. You've got, in the meat pack event, you've got, at that point, 200 pounds of weight, which you had to load on your pack, all of it, part of it. It's just your strategy. So based on your limitations, you load up X amount of weight, and you go walk the course. If you take all the weight at once, okay, well, you're done when you come back. If you decide to take a partial load, You've got to take it, run the course, and then you've got to go back empty all the way around and then reload and then walk the course again. So it, essentially you're simulating walking to the truck, you know, taking your meat in, going back to campsite. It's just it's in a loop format at the train hunt events just for uh, layout for layout purposes. But 200 pounds of weight, and I had practiced working out with 100, 150 pounds at that point on my pack, and in, I was going to carry the other 25-pound two 25-pound bags in my hands. So I load up 150 pounds on my pack, and I just had a meat shelf on my Tafaru pack, and, and the pack, it handles the weight like nothing. It rides great. But my problem was the weight bags that Kenton used were a different size than the ones that I use at home. So when I go load up this pack and I try to get it on my shoulder, the weight shifted. pack has to come back down again. So then I had to readjust the weight pick it up again it shifted again had to put the pack down again so finally i had to i cinched it up good enough based off what was there i had to lift that pack three times and at the time the method i was using to get that weight to my back my back was not the best way i should have been doing it so i struggled i didn't leave the starting line i think the guy said it was like three and a half or four minutes before i left the starting line when most people are leaving within a minute to a minute and a half you're not just uh-huh. running a straight, like a zero degree incline. You're, are you on the, like in a mountain going up and down different variations of degrees of uh, elevation to, or is it just you're like on a flat surface? Cause I guess that could also put a, a variant on how you can perform. Yeah, absolutely. The, the one in Colorado, we, it was relatively flat. There was one incline, one hill that you went up and down and on the course, the one in, in Cheyenne or in Casper, excuse me, in Wyoming, that one, you went straight down a hill. Oh, I don't know, a little more than a quarter mile. It was, it was I think it was uh, not quite three-quarters of a mile loop, but you went straight down, and you're coming straight back uphill. From what I heard, um, Oregon was, was a brutal course where they had to go. Their, their course was, was very much uh, an elevation thing. The Nationals, we were up about 8,000 feet, I think, where we were, and that was that, that had a lot of ups and downs to it. So... Absolutely, the type of terrain you're at, and it's dictated based off where the events are held. So it's, there's strategy. I mean, it's 
just like you would in, in a hunting scenario. It's, you know, are you going to load up one elk cord, one rear quarter on your back, or are you going to debone something else and try to throw some more meat on there to save the second trip or third trip? So it, it, that's a bear. That's, I think if anything sends people away or gets people nervous um, as far as trying one of the events, it's, it's the meat pack event. Well, I was going to say, you know, to this is drawing a lot of interest, you know, this specific one uh, event. Um, what would you just say to someone who has never done this before? You know, they have a hunt that they're a lifetime hunt. They drew a tag. They're going to go hunt next season, and, but they want to do something like this beforehand. What do they need to do to prep for, for one of these events? Kenton um, does online training. The, the Train to Hunt website is basically that. It's online training, and it, it's he's got multiple levels of uh, you know, beginner, intermediate, advanced programming every day. It's a different workout every day except for Sunday. So that's probably your best place to go to learn uh, about what you're going to need because if, if you can if you can prepare based off what he's teaching you or what he's what he's the workouts are on the train train to hunt uh, website, you're going to at least you're going to be ahead of the game a little bit with uh, what you're going to experience at the challenges. So. I guess it's Kenton the Greg. I can't I can't say enough good things about him because he's he's a wealth of knowledge. There's guys that are, you know, gung ho, backcountry hunters that this they they live and breathe this stuff. Open in my print since I mean I had the opportunity to go out west to Utah for the bowcast at the bird. I've done it a couple times. It's been amazing. But it took a podcast that got me out there. And the interesting part was before I went, I was getting into fitness. And I, I figured, you know, if I, I knew from what I heard in some of the videos, I felt it was going to be a little bit more strenuous. So I, I started working out, I started doing different things, uh, putting a pack on, walking around, just kind of get my knees. I knew that you're going up elevation, down elevation. I'm not used to that here in Georgia. We have some, but nowhere near like that. Um, but in the same sense, let's say someone's never did anything like this before. They have done 3D shoots, but nothing to this extreme. Um, and I'll put it in my perspective. I've never done the type of that, but I've done backpacking. And when I would prepare myself for a backpacking trip, and we've had some good elevation up to 6,000 feet and plus, but I would put backpack on and I would weigh it down. Now I start walking through the neighborhood, go up and down, because I know it's going to put a lot of bearing on my knees and to help build up my knees. But I know that that doesn't just do everything. There's other things people can do. Maybe they're at work. Uh, they can, um, they might be sitting down and they pull one leg up and hold it for 20 seconds and then to put it down and do the other leg up to build up those knees. So someone wanted to go out and they maybe one day want to try to do one of these events, but they just don't, they know they are not prepared for it. And I know you got the baby steps getting towards it, but what physically could someone do to get into a regiment that might help condition them so that they feel more comfortable to take on the challenge? They might not be the best, but they can at least feel comfortable enough to accept and try to do the challenge itself. Yeah, there, there is quite a bit and little things. So I, you know, for example, when I was getting ready for 3D shoots earlier this year, I mean, I still competed some on the, on the ASA circuit early in the year. And when I would go out and practice shooting 3Ds, I would, when I'm walking to go pull my arrows, I'd do lunges to the target, you know, do lunges back. And it's it's not that that's, it's, it's a crazy workout, but that by the time you go pull arrows from 25 or 30 targets, you just fried your legs, you know. And it's it's something that people don't think about of little things, like you said, when you're when you're at work. Well, you know, some people might work in an office building, and it, it's just that, it's that simple thing of take the stairs. You know, and you know what? When you get to the top of the fourth floor, go back down and go back up one more time again on your break. Little things, baby steps. Um, but the thing that I can't, I guess, stress enough is having strong legs is, is the biggest thing because that's where you see the separation from some guys that if they can't handle, uh, you know, a little bit of weight on a pack and then moving moving around on the, on the hills, then, then it's going to be very tough. So, you know, or again, when you're out, practicing if you're out shooting with some buddies 3d well you know throw your backpack on get 25 30 pounds in the pack what i always like to do is i always try to prepare for you know 120 percent of what i'm going to experience out there so that way once you've got the nerves once you've got the you know the, the adrenaline and everything else you're used to you know if i'm prepared for, by practicing on a two or two and a half mile course you know it's it should be a little bit easier so baby steps is key um but focus on your legs, your back, 
you know, and, and your shoulders. Don't neglect any part of your body, but again, the, the, the biceps and the chest and the things that might look good on the beach aren't necessarily the, the muscles or the groups that are going to help you a bunch when you're out in the mountains or, or you're hunting or you're preparing for one of these kind of events. So mm-hmm. I think that uh, whether you CrossFit, whether you get into a train-to-hunt style uh, workout online with Kenton, the key is, is working yourself in slowly and setting goals far enough out to where you can say, I've got a six-month plan, I've got a three-month plan, and then I refine it the last month of and that's been the biggest thing for competitive shooting, to preparing for train to hunt. Is I map out my goals, I map out my workouts, and I, I, I log everything. Because now for next year, I'm going to go back to my log, my, my workout journal, and say, you know what, this worked best for getting me ready. And the thing, like I said, the thing I'll tell you is it's legs, man. I mean, it's legs, it's, it's, it's your lungs. And like you said, for yourself, you've got to learn to adapt with what you can, what you can handle based off your own limitations. And being able to work towards those limitations and then continually hit those and maybe, you know, the slightly push, push the envelope to see where you can because, you know, I've, I've gotten, <laughs> I've, I've gone almost overboard, you might say, with how I try to prepare for certain things. And it, it's gotten to the point where every time I train, I train with the heart rate monitor because I knew I, I, would, I, would, I would get on a treadmill and I would get my heart rate up as high as I can. And I'd jump off the treadmill, I'd grab my bow and shoot my bow. And and then I would, you know, do the same thing. And I, I would learn what heart rate I can comfortably shoot at. And so then I would practice out of my comfort zone. So I'd get my heart rate to whatever the heart rate was, 160, 165. And then I'd get off the treadmill and I'd shoot. And then from there, I took it a step further of saying, okay, well, I'm going to get off when I'm running, whether I'm on the treadmill or I go run outside. And I get my heart rate to that point. Okay, now I'm going to watch my heart rate monitor, take a deep breath, see how much it comes down, second deep breath, third deep breath. So now I'm measuring my my limitations and I'm measuring where my comfort zone is. So where some guys that, you know, they there's going to be guys that are way more anal or, or, you know, crazy than I am with trying to figure out ways to get an edge. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, I knew I was ready. And, and, and I guess to take it back to your question of how would you get someone ready, you need to be organized. You need to write stuff down. You need to set goals. You need to, like I said, whether you hire a personal trainer to help you or whether you, you go to your CrossFit gym and start working out there or, or you, like I said, you start doing the train to hunt for them, you need to write stuff down. You need, to, you need to know what your limitations are as you're doing them and know when to, okay, you know what, my, uh, my squats are a little bit weaker or I, I get tired after I do 50 air squats as opposed to maybe I need to be, want to be doing 70 or whatever it is, you know, whatever you're, you're finding your limitations are, if you don't write stuff down and document it and jot it down, then it's hard for you to be able to go back and, and map out or, or, or map out your goals for three months ahead, ahead of time or your workouts. And so it's, I guess I wouldn't say it's, it's so much, uh, you know, get on the squat rack and, and, you know, squat 250 pounds, you know, 10 times, three times. A day. It's, it's, it's not so much that, I guess the advice I would give as to um, treat it. Not, I don't want to say like a job, but, you in a, in a sense you kind of have to you know treat treat it like it's a it's a goal you're trying to accomplish something you know writing down it. those goals yeah absolutely yeah, because if you're getting ready for a hunt and you know you're going to be hiking to seven eight nine ten thousand feet in elevation and you know that you can you can run two miles and and then after that you get tired and you have to walk through a little bit and jog okay well when you're you know hunting you're not going to try to go gung-ho and hike from 5,000 feet to 10,000 feet in an hour and expect to get up there and be ready to hunt, it's not r- realistic. Kind of the situation of like transition going from the the train to hunt uh, competitions and into the actual field, kind of jumping off. I have a slight background in mountain climbing, and so I do a lot of indoors as well. And when it comes into training, there is, when you're trying to climb up a wall, uh, you can either muscle through some really hard areas, the course, so to speak. Um, or there is a proper form, some techniques that you can do things that uses less muscle groups. So you can not only support uh, longer muscle, t- like hang time, whenever you need to hold on to certain things, or you can just muscle through and you might be able to go through steps and but then you're tired. When it comes into physically hunting and doing these types of backpacking out west and you have 200 pounds or 150 pounds going up elevation, down elevation, is there any kind of like uh, connection between proper 
back support and muscle movements to help secure that you're going to have a better run? Even if you're doing the challenge, are there certain things that you can do that you need to make sure you have a very good stable support or uh, proper forms to ensure you have the stamina, you have the, the muscles that you need it, but not just muscling it through so you're burning them out, but doing it where you can actually last. Are there any kind of things like that? You know, that's so from a standpoint of stability and form and, and that kind of thing, you know, that, that goes back to from me learning from a hard experience in, in Colorado with the, getting, the, getting the weight on my back to, you know, sitting on the ground with a 150-pound pack strap the pack on first, get it secured tight, and then roll over and do like a push-up to get yourself up. That's a better form to get up off the ground with a lot of weight than it is to try and hoist try it up. manually lift it, get your arm around it, throw your other arm around it. So, oh, really yeah, there's, there's certain, there's technique, there's, there's better ways of doing things. Um, that, and I, I've, you know, I've learned some along the way myself with that kind of stuff. When you're working out with heavy weight like that, I always recommend, you know, whether you got a good sturdy pair of hiking boots or your hunting boots, I would wear them because you need, you know, a lot of ankle support, um, a pack that fits you properly when you're carrying loads like that. I, it's, it's, it's huge. Um, there's, there's a lot of guys that I felt bad for when they're out on that course because there's they get the weight up and then you just see the weight flopping around on that pack, you know. And is there any kind of tips that it. might be efficient for someone? Like, do you want to put more weight more towards the hip or the above chest area? Because I know in backpacking it's a little different. But I know now you have meat, you really can't change or position the, the game meat. I mean, is there certain ways that might help? secure that pack to make it a little bit more stable yeah usually you want to carry the i mean in, in a hunting scenario right you put your lighter stuff on the bottom of your pack right. your heavier stuff on the top of your pack um when you're talking about loading sandbags it's all heavy you know <laughs> and it, it, i mean it, i've got the, the pack i use the kafaru pack that's like a 5200 cubic inch pack and i tell you what 150 pounds of sandbags filled that pack so yeah from from bottom to top you know so it's something that I would suggest having a pack that will keep your load secured is, is key. Having a pack that fits you properly is even more important because if when you go throw your waist, when you go through, get that weight on and you got your waist belt cinched tight, you want the weight riding on the waist belt, not on your shoulders. And again, when you load that kind of weight, the weight's everywhere. It's on your shoulders, it's on your waist, it's everywhere. but the majority should be handled with that waist strap and um, again, you know, Kafaro is a company here in Col in Colorado that that I've I've I, I I mean they're 25 minutes from my shop, so the guys out there are great. I I was able to go over there over the last couple of years and get sized properly, and 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 even they made some modifications to my pack to just make sure that it can handle the weight more. You know, from the carbon stays to you know to the aluminum stays, and it's just that when you're talking about having to carry that kind of load. Um, if you think you're going to go to a Walmart or, you know, not knocking Bass Pro Shops or Cabela's, but if you think you're going to go buy a $50, $60 pack and move that kind of weight comfortably, not going to happen. It's, it's going to be tough. You know, um, there are some guys that did it. Don't get me wrong. But I know that when I, when I work, I work out with my pack, my heavy pack at least once a week. And even still now, you know, I don't have any hunts planned where I've got, heavy loads that I got to carry out, but just keeping that muscle, you know, from your, your legs, to your back, and I'll just put my heavy pack on, I'll walk my stairs up and down, you know, and I'll do stairs for 20 minutes. And that's probably one of my harder workouts that I do just with carrying 125 or 150 pounds now to do that. But the pack is, again, you don't want anything to where if it's, if it's not secured properly, and, and I mean from bottom to top, when you're hiking on that mountain, and if that weight's shifting left to right, you're exerting more energy to stabilize yourself with that pack as you're walking up or down and controlling yourself. And it, you can just imagine how it, it's going to magnify how hard it is. So proper pack fit, getting a pack that's going to be strong enough to handle that weight um, with that kind of format. Because realistically, most guys won't carry 150 pounds, you know, anywhere, anytime. So, oh, I know. I mean, even when I do backpacking, I mean, 45, 50 pounds for yeah. just a few days, that's, that's brutal. And just that alone, but trying to add that and then you're saying an extra 100 pounds on top of it and then the uh, different type of terrain, 
I can yeah, see that be difficult. <laughs> it, it, it can be, and and that's where again, it, it's it's one of these deals that if whether you you're serious about your hunting or whether you're serious about you know getting in these into these kind of events, you, you may want to consider spending a, a few extra dollars on getting a good pack. Um, it's going to make your it's going to make things just a little more pleasant as you go through it. But in in addition to that, if you're working out with your pack regularly, then it's it's more comfortable to work out with a heavy pack when you do that kind of any kind of workouts like that if it's if it handles the load properly. And again, I I, I prefer to follow those guys these are local guys that, that have taken care of me and the packs they build the, the duplex frame. I guess I've worked out with two hundred pounds on that pack and it sucks getting off the ground with two hundred pounds, but the pack <laughs> handles it no problem. Is it an uh, outer it, frame pack? Or inner frame. It's a it's so it's a it, the duplex frame is a, is a frame itself. It's kind of a external frame, and then the external bag. Frame. I have a yeah. I've got a Timberline two is the one that I roll on on that frame for anything. I mean, I packed out elk this year uh, that my dad and my my cousin shot on that on that same pack, and um, it, it's like I said, fifty. I think it's fifty two hundred cubic against the one that I use, or fifty two or fifty six hundred. I can't remember. But there's lots of great packs out there. Make, again, there's just it's just the the fit uh, is what's key, and it's because of your torso length. You know, not everybody's created equal, and, and not every pack is created to fit every person. So it's something that most hunters overlook that stuff. They say, I'm going hunting. I'm going to go pack in. I'm going to go buy me a $60 external frame pack from Cabela's and, and, and let's go. And it may not fit that person right. And it's going to make for an uncomfortable experience. But oh, yeah. I mean, that's, that's a total different, you know, that's, that's something for, uh, you know, an Aaron Snyder or, or one of those guys that, that that's what they specialize. And that's, that's, you know, more in their expertise. I, I kind of just, I, I've learned a little bit myself along the way from those guys by listening. And, and, and I know now, I mean, when I used to hunt eight or 10 years ago with the Cabela's pack and I have my stuff now, it's night and day, man. It's, it's just more pleasant. So, well, you know, shifting gears just a little bit, um, you, you've talked multiple times about a couple of the associations that you, that you shot in, um, for amateur archery, you know, tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about kind of your, your background, kind of how you got into archery, how you, you know, obviously you own a bow shop that's there in, in Colorado. So how did you turn this into a, a career? I mean, it, it really is for you. You're, you're deeply involved in the hunting industry. You know, how did you get to that point? Where'd you start at and, and where'd you make that transition? Well, I, like most people, you know, I, I grew up, um, rifle hunting. My dad's a rifle hunter. He still shoots a smoke pole now. Um, and that's that's where we we grew up. And when I got out of college, you know, it, it just is that extra, you know, that extra challenge, that extra. You know, I I like getting in closer and and experiencing things. And I started started bow hunting, and and I dragged my brother into it, and my uncle, and and some of the crew that I would hunt rifle hunt with, and, and we just started bow hunting. You know, and it was um, like most people do. You go to your sporting goods store and you, you buy your first, you know, three four hundred dollar bow, and and you start flinging arrows and. And it, it wasn't far after shooting a few first arrows that, you know, you get addicted. And and, and it's just that that challenge that you, of, you know, always wanting to make that perfect shot. Always want to make that perfect shot. You just, you just keep working at it. And it's something that, you know, some people get a little more addicted than others. And I ended up, uh, oh, I don't know, I think it was, um, I opened my shop in 2009. I'd say it was probably 2007, 2006, 2007, I started shooting a lot of local competitions. And God, I mean, eyes were open because it was like, man, these guys are awesome and, and getting my butt handed to me. And it was, it was, you know, ears open, mouth shut and, and eyes open and, and look and listen and learn, you know. And then you start picking up on little things from guys, from your local guys and the local pros that are competing pro. And, and, and then it got to the point where it was about, two, I think it was also in 2009 when I, I traveled to uh, Florida for my first ASA event, shot in the bow hunter class. And I, I think I finished sixth in my first shoot out of like a 80 or hundred guys. And it was like, man, this is, you know, I knew I could be competitive there and won out of that division, went into an open, open A and, and played there for a few years and, and learned again and, and eyes open. And, and you know, it, archery in the East is so much different from archery out West. I mean, it's, oh, yeah. it's, it's a different animal down there. And if you want to play the game, you got to go, you know, you got to go to the, uh, you know, the ASA is mostly South southeast based and and ibo is kind of east to midwest and northeast based and and i just i just tried to listen to as many guys that were doing it well as possible and you know and and one of the guys that 
I, I can't say enough nice things about uh, Tim Gillingham, you know, with Gold Tip. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the most ap- approachable pros out there, you know, with but just talking to guys and, and trying to help them out and and give them tips to or things to consider and 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 you, and you spend any amount of time with with guys like that and you walk away with so many ideas and you know it's just so many things of things to implement into your practice. So I, I did the ASA deal for uh, 2012. I won my first event as a semi-pro and. And I won through one at a semi-pro that year, and then um, no, it was 2013, and I won at a semi-pro. And then t- 2014, I, sh- I competed in three events this year as a pro my, for my first year, and that was my goal from when I started. It's like I want to be able to earn my way into that division. You know, uh, anybody in archery can pay the entry fee and, and go into the pro class, but to have to physically to get moved out of the, the divisions below that to where you're forced into that class. You know, there's a little bit, there's a little more sense of accomplishment there, and and I was able to do that. And I tell you what, man, it's it was a butt whooping all over again. Um, <laughs> the guys there, it, it, and it's 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 not that. I mean, every from open A to semi pro and and pro, there's guys that can shoot phenomenally. It's just it's how you manage the course, it's how you play the game, it's how you judge yardage, and how you put everything into one, and then how you handle the nerves of of the, the gamesmanship of the other guys you're competing against. So ASA is, I, I mean, I, I love 3D archery, and and it's helped me in my shop because, I've, I've like I said, I've learned so much along the way, and I've learned a lot from some of the best guys in the world. So when a customer comes into my shop and has, has a, you know, a tuning issue or an arrow question or it's anything like that, I've, I may have not experienced it myself, but I've, I've, I've talked with enough guys, and I've, I've learned enough from, from a lot of different people, and, and I've surrounded myself with the great guys around the shop. I mean, there's, there's just a lot of high-level shooters that I've, I've been able to surround myself with for the benefit of myself and for the benefit of my customers. So it's something that, like I said, I don't know everything, and I never claim, I'll never claim to, but it's, it's really easy to help other people make them better when, when you surround yourself with good people and, and you've learned from some of the best. So, do you feel that people sometimes fall into a crutch? You do tend to see a few. What I feel falls into a crutch is where they do have their bow and then they have a stabilizer, but then they have weight distributions going from left to right, maybe three or four feet up above, you know, in different angles. That almost puts this, even though it might help balance the bow out to be more efficient, they're almost utilizing external abilities to allow their shot to be placed better instead of working on their core structure. But do you feel some people fall into those types of crutches? And especially because you can't really transition that into hunting. You can't go out into the woods or go a spot stock and you have three or four different, the stabilizer. I mean, that doesn't seem right. as efficient. So I mean, why do people fall into that and how could they get out of it? Yeah, you know, the most people got into, I would say many people get into 3D or target archery because they want to be a better hunter and they, they want more time to practice. And that's how they a lot, a lot of people get into it. And so at the end of the day, yeah, shooting target hopefully is helping your hunting game. But target archery is target archery. Target archery, even though on a 3D animal you're shooting, you know, a, a potential animal that you may be looking to hunt, it, it's it's such a different game because from where the scoring rings are placed on a target, um, some of them are not exactly where you might aim on a, on a hunting situation, especially once you start quartering targets. So it's its its, its own animal. Shooting with a stabilizer, long long front stabilizer, V-bar setups, side weights, you know, it's, it does help slow your pin movement down. So that's, um, that's the essential end result of what you're doing there. there there's, on my hunting bow right now, I, I usually run between an eight or a ten inch front bar with some weight out front, and I do run a sidebar on my hunting setup. It's not as long, six to eight inches, but um, I tell you that the benefit of a mini version of what you see on the target setup, kind of like what you know a lot of guys are, are going to, uh, is at the end of the day, if you've got that 50, 60 yard shot, maybe 65, 70 yard shot, depending on what you're, you're comfortable and capable of shooting in a hunting situation you want your pin to be as steady as possible on the target. So if you've got to carry around an extra half a pound of weight to uh, slow slow your pin movement down, 
it's one of those trade-offs that some people decide to roll with it, some people don't. For me, that sidebar, like you see on a lot of target setups, the, the reason I like to run it is, you know, when, when you've got your quiver loaded up and your sight and everything mounted on the right side of your bow, you get that little counterweight on the left side, and when you've got to draw back, and, and again, going back to train to hunt, when you when you've got to draw your bow back and you've got five seconds to get that arrow off, if you draw your bow back and it's leaning to the right because all the weight's to the right, and then part of your shot process is level your bow out, check your bubble, get your acquire the target with your pin, and then execute the shot, you're losing a lot of time as well as wasted movement if when you draw your bow back it doesn't automatically go to, go to level. And that's what that's where um, you know Western hunting is so much different from 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 Eastern hunting and. Uh, but at the end of the day, it is beneficial for accuracy. Can it be cumbersome? Can it be, you know, uncomfortable at times? Yeah. I mean, I was in Nebraska last year, and, and we went to, you know, a friend of mine, Ron's Ranch, and he, he sees my stabilizer set up. I'm like, so I got a 10-inch front bar, and I got a 6-inch side bar on the side. And he said, oh, man, you might want to take those off. I said, no, I, I, I'm good, you know. He said, that, that could get in the way when you're trying to draw back on an animal. Well, First evening, first sit, I've got a deer come in, and, and he's running the 50 yards. I mean, he gave me a shot, maybe two, three seconds worth of time, and I plugged him. And I attest that to, you know, when I draw my bow back, I don't have a lot of wasted energy and a lot of wasted movement to get my bow to level. And um, and it's because of my stabilizer setup. It's it, Like I said, it's, it's kind of a mini version of a target setup, but... But you're right. Once you start getting into your 27, your 30, your 30-inch front bars and, and, and all that, it's more directly for the target application. And, okay. you know, it's it, it's got a place. Um, and if you've never tried it, it's it's something to at least try. If you get to, you know, your, your local archery range or you got a buddy that shoots a target setup, you know, try to shoot it sometime because it's not for everybody. But once you take the time to set up a setup like that for you and get it balanced properly – and it's it's so much more efficient in the aiming process, but it really it, you'd be surprised how much it'll slow your pin down if it's set up properly. Well, to pick to pick your brain a little bit, you're talking about how it's a little bit of a trade off. You have to figure out how much weight you're comfortable carrying on sidebars and and on your front bar, and kind of balance that between when's it in the way or when it is beneficial. Now, one of the questions that we have a lot of people ask us is, you know, feet per second versus impact you know mm-hmm. where's where's the trade-off or what do you see where's the value point for you as far as losing losing feet per second to get more impact or which one is better you know i i guess whenever i set up a bow i to me it's more making sure my broadhead and my arrow combination tune properly and whether if you know if i'm shooting fixed blades or i'm shooting expandables uh you know it's it's more of an issue of of accuracy. If if my bow with the right combination shoots most accurate at 285 feet per second, then 285 feet per second it is. If if you know if I want to try to push the envelope a little bit and get a little bit more speed, and you start you know going over that 300 feet per second mark, 305, 310, if your bow allows that and your draw length allows that, uh, then sometimes you could have potential issues with with certain broadheads. So. To me, up until this year, I've, I've been fixed blade all the way through. I've played with expandables on, on antelope a little bit, um, but it's, it's you know, I'm a 28-and-a-half-inch draw. I'll shoot 72 to 73 pounds on a hunting bow, and I'm, I'm kind of in the middle as far as the speed game to the, you know, higher higher weight arrow. Uh, I like I like my arrows to be somewhere between, you know, 400 to 440 grains. And, and it's because I can kind of fit right in the middle of that, you know, the, I can get enough speed to where I, I, I've got a pretty flat trajectory, but I've got, I'm not going too fast to where if I want to shoot a fixed blade, I'm, I'm going to have any planing issues because of speed. So I, I don't know. I, I, I've, I cater, I've got guys in my shop that they're 30 inches of draw and they shoot a 360 grain arrow, you know, at, you know, whatever. <laughs> and, and because they just, just, they want 335 feet per second, 330. And, and that's great for them, you know. So it, that's and that's I guess that's the good thing about archery is, you know, that we get to talk about that debate. You know, well, you shoot a 360 grain arrow, well, you shoot a 500 grain arrow. Well, you know what? Is there one that's right or wrong? Maybe. I don't know. It's really what fits the person. 
That's right, you know, and and that's where we've got so many options as, as archers right now that that's that's the challenge of finding the right accessory or finding the right arrow because there's so many out there that work and people have proved it. I've I've killed elk with 370 grain arrows, you know, and then like now I've I, I'm I'm chasing mule deer here in eastern Colorado and and I was in Nebraska with a 440 grain arrow, you know, so it's like, well, it doesn't really make sense. You got the heavier <laughs> arrow for the smaller game, but you know what? It's, it, it's just, you just playing around because to me, it's, it's, it, it, they're, they're, they're accurate. They're tuned properly. They're hitting where they need to hit. Um, and, and the equipment choices are just, they're, they're just, they've come so far that it's, it's hard to say one's right or one's wrong. You know, I kind of fall in the middle. Very cool. Yeah, you know, it's just one thing. Everyone is going to have their own opinion, and it seems like there is so many different things out there to try. As owning the bow shop, you know, a, a newbie comes in, or even, you know, a guy that's been hunting for years comes in and just wants to dive in and kind of understand more everything. How can they come in there and, and get more knowledge from you guys in the bow shop? Most times when somebody's new coming in to, to, to learn or, or get into archery, we try to size them let them try as many bows as they can. And then once they start telling us, well, I really don't like this or I don't like that, it's like, okay, well, then we're, we'll narrow it down into something where it's it's fitting their needs or their, their comfort level. Maybe it's just a grip issue or, maybe, you know, maybe it's a, a single cam, a dual cam, or whatever it is. But once we figure out what their, what, what their likes are, we try to um, further give them some more options within that. But at that time is when we start to teach them well, what you're feeling with this bow is this, or what you're feeling with that is is the the draw cycle. This has a shorter valley, and what is the valley? Oh, well, it's when you're at your back end of your draw cycle. You know, the if if a shorter valley is going to make it feel like you're on the back end or you're 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 coming off of it because it's it's got you know a shorter valley. So it's we're, we're trying to teach them some of the terminology. We're trying to teach them some of the the characteristics of the bows at that time when they're demo shooting stuff. That's that's what our goal is. That's what my goal is. And and be it you know with with, with the uh, championshipbowhunting.com is is the the blog site that that I started. It, that like I said, we're starting to do that. We're starting to hit on some of those things because in addition to me having my my customer base here in the Denver area, you know, tra- traveling to some of these trained to hunt events and starting to meet some of these people, and then getting the the Facebook messages and the questions. Hey, what about this? What about that? And and I try to answer as many as I can. I try to answer all of them. It's giving you the, the, the basic information as to why you're setting this up this way or how it's beneficial. So th- there's there's a lot of great sites out there. Again, we're not reinventing the wheel. We're just trying to add another legitimate information source out there. That's awesome. Well, so what is just some basic knowledge or, or something you'd like to portray to you know, a, a first-time listener that just is just getting into into archery. What's some advice you have for them to really get their feet wet and going in the right direction? Oh, you know, not because I own a pro shop, but I'll always try to go to a pro shop first. And I know there's great there's great people that work at places like the box stores, and we say box stores, and we mean by that is your Sportsman's Warehouse, Cander Mountain, Bass Pro. There, there's really good people there, but the difference from a box store and a pro shop is usually the guys that work in a pro shop have had a little bit more training specifically to just to certain equipment. So when it comes to getting the right fit, usually your pro shop's going to be the best place for that. And getting someone started properly with the bow that fits them properly um, to what they're looking to do is, is the key. Because if you get um, Johnny Bowhunter into a, 38-inch axle-to-axle bow as his first bow because he thinks he might want to do some 3D, but mostly bow hunting, and then you put him in a tree stand and, and he figures out he can't move a, a big old bow around, you know, it, it's probably not the best thing for him. So get get to a pro shop, try to, you know, talk to them as to what you want to do. And if you really don't know yet, well, then demo shoot some bows, you know, try some stuff out. Hang out, you know, hang out. A, a bow shop's a pretty cool place to hang out. You know, even before I owned mine, I'd hang out at, at the other, uh, you know, the local pro shop here. I'd stop in after work. You know, you sit there, you interact with other guys that are doing the same thing, and, you know, you, you talk about arrow combination questions. You know, you, you talk about hunting, you know, experiences. And the amount of, of 
information that you can get sometimes sometimes isn't the best, but you but nonetheless it's something more for you to think about and and to pick and choose from. So start at a pro shop. Not necessarily is a, is a high end bow the best bow for you to start with. Um, but at the end of the day, try to buy the best piece of equipment you can that you can afford because as you know, you know a lot of people will buy a $400 bow to start or $500 bow to start and they enjoy it so much that you know four or five, six months later they're upgrading and they're losing money on that other bow. So potential thoughts in your, that they can creep into your head as to is that really better than this? Well, I, so, I can second on what you're saying there because when I originally sided to with Scott and I, he was convincing me to finally try to pick up the bow. I went out. The first place I could think of was going to a big box store. And because it was local, it was nearby, I didn't think much of uh, pro shops. I knew, I had no idea about pro shops. I just knew big box stores. Well, I went to one, spent, uh, I guess, maybe 30, 40 minutes talking to a guy who's a really nice guy. And I, ha- again, had no knowledge. So I trusted him. And after we had everything set up, he got me into a bow that was 60 pounds at 28-inch draw. And I felt like this didn't feel right. It didn't feel comfortable. I felt like I, I just something was wrong, but I could shoot. I just didn't feel right. Well, happened to talk to Scott, and he's like, no, no, you got to go try some other areas. And I went and went to a pro shop, uh, spent a good hour and a half to maybe two hours. We talked about all different types of bows he had there. I really wanted to go with a Hoyt at the time. And he just happened to throw out his bow that he personally used after over about an hour of talking. Didn't try to convince me. And I pulled it back. It uh, felt incredible. And I asked, well, what is this? He says, well, I can tell you this. You're at a 2970 with that bow right there. And you have the same broadside shoulders that I do. And I'm like, 2970, okay. And he goes, you could probably go more than that, but you're more incapable of handling. I said, well, the place I went to before, they're saying uh, 2860. He goes, uh, no. He goes, who was the person you were working with? Is he shorter than you? It's like, well, yeah. And he goes, see, you got to also make sure you're getting measured based on you, not measured based on them. And sometimes yeah. Bix box stores will measure based on them because they mm-hmm. do it so much, it becomes second nature. They forget about the person sometimes. And uh, so I can see why maybe going to a pro shop, you're going to get that custom approach because they're going towards what you need, not what's really best for them. Well, and that's it. I mean, it's, there's, like I said, there's little things to look for. And, and even from, you know, the standpoint of a lot of people in, in the hunting kind of side of things, you know, a lot of people in, in are, are taught to shoot with a, a really bent arm, you know, your front arm, your bow arm. And you go look on the target side of, of shooting, especially more so when you're talking, uh, you know, on the paper shooting or the field shooting, you see guys that have a straight arm, you know, and it's like, well, I thought you're supposed to shoot with a bent arm. And it's, again, it's, it's the hunting community's um, background, if you will, as to why this, why you're supposed to shoot like this. Or uh, you, you talk to target guys and they're like, well, you want, you know, you want a straight locked arm because you're, you're, you're taking muscle out of the equation and you're, muscle moves muscle shakes you know so it's it's just trying to cater to the individual person for what they want to do and and if you see the guys in the pro shops like i said i I, i've been to the hoyt um academy and the matthews academy and i've got a couple guys that work for me that have been to you know back into the bow tech academy and psc and and a lot of the bow manufacturers have these training schools and why? It's because they want to teach you the ins and outs of their equipment and how they feel it's best for you to get set up with their equipment. And there's some crossover. There's a lot of stuff that, that follows from one to the other, but there's some, some ins and outs that don't. And, and, and where else are you going to learn that but from the manufacturers telling you? And the guys that work in these pro shops, like I said, have either done more training or learned more or have had more interaction to best get that you know get you suited for for whatever your your application is going to be you know if, like you said if you're a, a you know I'm, I'm guessing 29 inch you're probably somewhere in that 511 to 6'1 range maybe yeah i mean it's just that like i said there's 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 great guys that they have great intentions at a lot of places but uh box stores sometimes have a lot of turnover you'll get guys that approach up that have been there for 15, 20 years, you know, and have seen a lot. So, well, yeah. Um, anything else you want to cover up on Travis? 
No, we hit some really cool topics. I mean, from fitness to the 3D archeries to uh, even when it comes to buying you know, proper equipment, how it does help uh, one way or another. It can help a person in the field. So I thought we covered some really good topics. Yeah, anything yeah. else that... Anything else you wanted to really talk about, or something, some poignant information that you, that you really had? Uh, you know, the only thing I guess, the, going back to the touch briefly on on the train to hunt um, events, uh, the, the the regional events, the schedule's already out. Traintohunt.com. You can check out their challenges. Uh, there's a 3D bow hunters course, there's a meat pack event, and there's a challenge course where you you run the course with weight on your back and you're shooting. And Kenton's going to put out private videos here by the first of the year as to what the format's going to be for for next year's tournament. So, like I said, check it out. There's there's um it, it's it's a great it's a great event. And and even if you're not sure if there's one close to you, check it out. They filmed the nationals last year, and I, I don't want to say too much, but um, there's a production company that uh, is looking to try to get that aired on you know, an outdoor channel or sportsman channel or something um, next year. So if it's something that you're still kind of on the fence about or you're not sure about, I'm pretty sure that's going to have some kind of airtime around April or May, um, like I said, recapping or highlighting the, the national event. So um, you just, you know, you check out Train to Hunt, like them on Facebook or, or whatever, and, and that information will come as soon as there's some more definitive answers on there. If anybody has any questions, like I said, I'm on train to hunt or or anything else. Um, you know, I'm I'm always available myself. I, well, what's the best way they can reach you? Um, my email is phil at nolimitsarchery.com. Like I said, my email is on my website. Uh, questions, um, I try to get to them as soon as I can. Uh, Championshipbowhunting.com is the the video blog site that we're doing shooting tips, gear giveaways. Moving forward next year, I'm, I'm working with some outfitters. We're actually going to be giving away some elk hunts. So um, we've got a lot of things moving forward that will be geared on that championship bow hunting website. If you can, real quick, um, what's your actual role with, with Train to Hunt? And then uh, if you can give a quick plug to, to No Limits so we have we have that to go with too. Yeah, um, so I, I am a, a, a Train to Hunt national director. But, uh, and then No Limits Archery, we're, you know, pro shop here in Denver, uh, nolimitsarchery.com, you know, here here in Denver. So, got a lot going on. Uh, going to stay busy here, here moving forward. <laughs> and ho- hopefully you can sneak a little bit of hunting in uh, as, the, as the season finishes up and you get into next season. For sure, for sure. I've got to have time for hunting. Oh, there you go. Well, yeah, you know, honestly, thank you so much for coming on with us. But, you know, it was, it was a thrill to have you on and be able to talk to you a little bit. Hey, I, I appreciate it. And, uh, and, and, you know, thanks for having me on with me. I want to think you guys are doing a great job and, and keep up the good work. Oh, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll definitely have you back on uh, as, as this thing keeps progressing and hopefully gets gets bigger and bigger and come back on to talk some more hunting tips and tech tips and tell us some, uh, hopefully tell us some stories of some good good elk and mule deer that you guys have put down. Good deal, guys. Good luck with your season as well. I mean, I know you guys still have some hunting to do, so. Oh, yeah. Like I said, hearing, hearing more podcasts from you, too, it, it's it's great. It, for me, it's perfect. I'm in my truck most of the day, so I'll download a podcast and, and, and listen to it listen to it in the truck. So it's, it's really, uh, it works out perfect for me. There you go. Well, thanks for all the support, man, and we look forward to talking to you again real soon. Sounds good, guys. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Hey, talk, talk to you later. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, wow, that was a, a good conversation. I mean, we I think he covered in some really cool topics. I mean, from fitness to archery, that using the equipment right. Uh, I mean, uh, to me, I thought it was pretty good. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I guess one of the main things to take out of that is when whether you're going to go do a train-to-hunt event or you're just going out and you're going out for that lifetime hunt, you know, make sure you have the right equipment. Get a backpack that actually fits you you correctly get a pair of boots that are going to do what you need them to do whether it's you know 10 inch uh, 10 inch boots or if it's six inch boots find what works for you and, and make sure you have the right equipment to get yourself as comfortable as you can and you know in, in these long hikes and while you're packing stuff out it, it, it'll save your back it'll save your muscles just it helps you be more efficient um, but yeah you know Phil is he's a great guy he's got a ton of knowledge um, please, 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 if you have any questions, um, go email him, go check out a couple of his sites 
and, and get in contact with him. He's I, I know from firsthand experience, he is more than willing to sit there and chat your ear off and answer questions. He's got a true passion for the archery industry and the hunting industry and the fitness side of all this. So, you know, lean on him, you know, lean on all our guests that we have on. That's why we bring him on here. So you guys have someone to really go to and get those answers that you're, you're trying to get to become a better hunter or a, a better outdoorsman. So, you know, you use the resources. And, as you know, to be able to reach out to him, we have everything on our show notes. You can always go right to it by going to mybowrush.com forward slash 007 to check out the show notes for this episode, as well as check out for other ones as well. Um, definitely check out our podcast on iTunes. And the quickest way to get there is mybowrush.com forward slash iTunes. Leave us a review. Leave a comment. It helps us be able to reach more of you guys and gets gets the name out there a little bit more so we can bring more of these great guests to you guys. So as Travis just said, mybowrush.com forward slash iTunes. So we're covering a lot of different topics on the Bow Rush podcast, but there are so many topics out there. There's some really cool stories about how guys have harvested some awesome deer. Um, go check out our buddy Jay. He's got a great podcast a lot of cool stories, a lot of cool photos. You know, tell us a little bit about Jay Travis. Jay Scott is actually a pretty cool guy. He's got a incredible podcast all about big bucks. And what they do is uh, if you've killed a massive buck, definitely send in a photo, send in your information because he wants to hear about it. And if it's really good, he'll bring you on his show. He'll ask you questions, see what the story was about because he wants to create an archive of what the the lifestyle is of a buck hunter. And uh, it's a really cool podcast. You learn a lot. Um, it's the Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Podcast. That's awesome. As always, it is a thrill bringing another episode of, of the Bow Rush Podcast to you. I'm Scott Nelson. I'm Travis Stowe. And as our good buddy Terry Frazier from last week likes to say, get in the woods and go snatch the hide off something. Nice. (laughs) 